0: Chapter Twelve of In the Arctic Seas This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. In the Arctic Seas by Captain F. L. McClintock. Chapter Twelve. November seventh. Sunday evening. Brief as is the interval since my last entry, yet how awful and, to one of our small company, how fatal it has been. Yesterday, Mr Brand was out shooting as usual, and in robust health. In the evening, Hobson sat with him for a little time. Mr Brand turned the conversation upon our position and employments last year. He called to remembrance poor Robert Scott, then in sound health, and the fact of his having carried our Guy Fawkes round the ship on the preceding day twelvemonth, month, and added mournfully, Poor fellow! No one knows whose turn it may be to go next. He finished his evening pipe and shut his cabin door shortly after nine o'clock. This morning at seven o'clock, his servant found him lying upon the deck, a corpse, having been several hours dead. Apoplexy appears to have been the cause. He was a steady, serious man, under forty years of age, and leaves a widow and three or four children. What their circumstances are, I am not aware. Tenth, This morning the remains of Mr. Brand, enclosed in a neat coffin, were buried in a grave on shore. A suitable headboard and inscription will be placed over it. From all that I have gathered, it appears that his mind had been somewhat gloomy for the last few days, dwelling much upon poor Scott's sudden death. Whether he really saw three reindeer on Saturday, watched their movements and fired his mini rifle at them when 700 yards distant, or whether it was the creation of a disordered brain, none can tell. On his first return on board he said he had seen deer tracks only. We are now without either engineer or engine driver. We have only two stokers and they know nothing about the machinery. Our numbers are reduced to 24, including our interpreter and two Greenland Eskimo. Fifteenth, We have enjoyed 10 days of moderate winds and calms, but the temperature has fallen as low as minus 31 degrees. This causes frost cracks in the ice across the harbour. They will freeze over, and others will form and gape and freeze at intervals, so that by next spring we shall probably be moved several inches, perhaps feet, offshore. Mists have obscured the sun of late, and now it does not rise at all. We are indifferent. Its departure has become to us a matter of course." The usual winter covering of snow has been spread upon deck rather more than a foot thick. Its utility in preventing the escape of heat became at once strikingly apparent. Nothing has been seen but a few ptarmigan and one reindeer, which trotted off towards the ship. Our bullets missed him, and the dogs unfortunately caught sight and chased him away. I do not think any dogs could overtake a reindeer in this rough country. The rocks would speedily lame them, and the snow, in many places, is quite deep enough to fatigue them greatly whereas it offers but slight impediment to the deer, furnished as he is, with long legs and spreading hoofs. Twenty ninth, Animals have become very scarce. A few ptarmigan and willow grouse have been seen, and three shot. Two days ago I saw two reindeer. The eastern sea is frozen over, and our old acquaintance, the iceberg in Prince Regent's Inlet, is still visible on a clear day. We brew sugar beer, and we set nets for seals, but catch none. The nets have been made and set in favourable positions under the ice by the Greenlanders, so we suppose the seals have migrated elsewhere. If so, the Eskimo could not winter here. We have no regular school this winter, but five of the men study navigation every evening under the guidance of Young. Hobson and I are doing all we can to make the ship dry, warm and comfortable. Our large snow porches over the hatchways are a great improvement. 5th December Cold windy weather with chilling mists from the open water in Bellow Strait. We can seldom leave the shelter of the ship for a walk on shore, and when we do, rarely see even a ptarmigan. Twelfth, Very cold weather, thermometer down to minus 41 degrees, and the breeze comes to us loaded with mist from the open water, causing the air to feel colder than it otherwise would. Bellow Strait has become a nuisance not only from this cause, but from the strong winds, purely local, which seldom cease to blow through it. The seal nets have produced nothing, and, as there are no seals, we no longer wonder at not seeing bears. Three foxes have been trapped, and a hare seen. Our canine force numbers 24 serviceable dogs and 6 puppies, but these, I fear, will not be strong enough for sledging by March the monotony of our lives is vastly increased by want of occupation and confinement by severe gales to the ship for five days out of every seven the general health is good but there is a natural craving for fresh meat and fresh vegetables in great measure perhaps because they cannot be obtained but a well-filled letter-bag would be more welcome than anything i know of twenty-sixth upon four days only during the last fourteen has the weather permitted us to walk i allude to the wind as the obstacle to our exercise for the temperature when the air is still is no bar to any reasonable amount of it three or four coveys of ptarmigan have been seen and of these i shot one brace the cold increases thermometer has fallen to minus forty seven and a half degrees although blowing a moderate gale at the time and the atmosphere dense with mist our christmas has been spent with a degree of loyalty to the old english custom at once spirited and refreshing all the good things which could possibly be collected together appeared upon the snow-white deal tables of the men as the officers and myself walked by invitation round the lower deck venison beer and a fresh stock of clay pipes appeared to be the most prized luxuries but the variety and abundance of the eatables tastefully laid out was such as might well support the delusion which all seemed desirous of imposing upon themselves that they were in a land of plenty in fact all but at home we contributed a large cheese and some preserves and candles superseded the ordinary smoky lamps with so many comforts and the existence of so much genuine good feeling their evening was a joyous one enlivened also by songs and music whilst all was order and merriment within the ship the scene without was widely different a fierce north howled loudly through the rigging the snowdrift rushed swiftly past No star appeared through the oppressive gloom, and the thermometer varied between 76 degrees and 80 degrees below the freezing point. At one time it was impossible to visit the magnetic observatory, although only 210 yards distant, and with a rope stretched along, breast-high, upon poles the whole way. The officers discharged this duty for the quartermasters of the watches during the day and night. 1st January, 1859 This being Saturday night, as well as New Year's Day, sweethearts and wives were remembered with even more than the ordinary feeling. New Year's Eve was celebrated with all the joyfulness which ardent hope can inspire, and we have reasonable ground for strong hope. At midnight, the expiration of the old year and commencement of the new one was announced to me by the band, Flutes, Accordion and Gong, striking up at my door. Some songs were sung, and the performance concluded with God Save the Queen. The few who could find space in our mess room sang the chorus. But this by no means satisfied all the others who were without and unable to show themselves to the officers, so they echoed the chorus, and the effect was very pleasing. Our New Year's Day has been commemorated with all the substantials of Christmas fare, but without so much display. Less tailoring in pastry, not quite so much clipping of dough into roses and anchors and nondescript animals, etc, etc. The past week has been cold and stormy. It now blows strong and the temperature is minus 44 degrees. On the twenty-ninth, a few fresh tracks of animals and a ptarmigan were seen. Yesterday I saw three ptarmigan. December proved to be an unusually cold month, its mean temperature being minus 33 degrees, and it was rendered more than ordinarily dark and gloomy by continual mists from Bellow Strait. This open water adds seriously to the drawbacks of a spot already sufficiently cheerless, gameless and wind-loved. Ninth another week of uniform temperature of minus forty degrees and confinement to the ship by strong winds the atmosphere is loaded with enveloping mists which impart a raw and surprisingly keen edge to the chilling blasts blasts that no human nose can endure without blanching be its proportions what they may it is wonderful how the dogs stand it and without apparent inconvenience unless their fur happen to be thin they lie upon the snow under the lee of the ship with no other protection from the weather Today, the winds being light and temperature up to minus 30 degrees, we enjoyed walks on shore, although the mist continued so dense as to limit our view to a couple of hundred yards. I learned from Peterson that the natives of Smith Sound are well acquainted with the continuation of its shores considerably beyond the farthest point reached by Kane's exploring parties, but unfortunately no one thought of getting them to delineate their local knowledge upon paper. They spoke of a much larger island near the west coast called Umingmak, muskox island where there was much open water abounding with walrus and where some of their people formerly lived eskimo exist upon the east coast of greenland as far north as latitude seventy six degrees they are separated from the south greenlanders by hundreds of miles of ice-bound coasts and impassable glaciers many centuries ago a milder climate may and probably did exist and the corresponding modification of glacier and a sea less ice encumbered might have rendered the migration of these poor people from the south to their present isolated abodes practicable, but to me it appears much more easy to suppose that they migrated eastward from the northern outlet of Smith Sound. 21st. More pleasant weather since my last entry, and although last night the temperature fell to minus 47 degrees, yet it has generally been mild. Once it rose to minus 14 degrees, but amply made amends by falling to minus 38 degrees within 12 hours. We have enjoyed much of the moon's presence for the last ten days, but she is now waning and hastening away to the south. Daylight increases in strength and duration, consequently we walk more and see more, and the winter's gloom gives place to activity and cheerfulness. Several ptarmigan, three or four hares, a snowy owl and a bear track have at various times been seen. Young has shot four ptarmigan, and I have shot a couple more and a hare, and the men have trapped two foxes. On board the ship, the preparations for travelling take precedence of all other of occupations. Twenty sixth, part of the sun's disk loomed above the horizon today, somewhat swollen and disfigured by the misty atmosphere, but looking benevolent withal. I happened to be diligently traversing the rocky hillsides in the hope of finding some solitary hare dozing in fancied security when the sun thus appeared in view and halted to feast my eyes upon the glorious sight and scan the features of our returning friend hope and promise mingled in his bright beams again i moved upward and with more elastic step for now the sun of eighteen fifty nine was shining upon all nature around me second february a lovely calm bright day and beautifully clear except over the water space in Bello strait where rests a densely black mist very strongly resembling the west indian rain squall as it looms upon the distant horizon The increasing sunlight is cheering, but void of heat, and the mercury is often frozen. A few more ptarmigan have been shot. Our remaining serviceable dogs, 22 in number, have been divided with great care into three teams of seven each. The odd dog is added to my team, as my journey is expected to be the longest. The different sledge parties will now feed up their dogs without limit, so the utmost degree of work may be got out of them hereafter. January has been slightly colder than December mean temperature being minus thirty three and a half degrees but there has been rather less wind eight all will be ready for the departure of young and myself upon our respective journeys upon the morning of the fourteenth mr peterson and alexander thompson accompany me with two dog sledges and fifteen dogs dragging twenty four days provisions my object is to communicate with the boothians in the vicinity of the magnetic pole young takes his party of four men and his dog sledge he will carry forward provisions for his spring exploration of the shores of prince of wales land between the extreme points reached by lieutenants osborne and brown in eighteen fifty one on the third i walked for seven and a half hours and saw two reindeer but could not approach within shot young examined the water space in the strait and finds it washes both shores but extends east and west only about one mile the doctor has seen a seal and a dove key sporting in it for the last four days strong winds and intense cold have prevented us from rambling over the hills besides which the minor preparations for travelling have given us more occupation on board james pitcher has got a slight touch of scurvy his gums are inflamed and now it comes out that he dislikes preserved meats and has not eaten any since he has been in the ship he has lived upon salt meat and preserved vegetables except for the very short periods in summer when birds could be obtained he is rather a used up old fellow, too much so for our severe sledge work, therefore is one of the few who will remain to take care of the ship. That he should have retained his health for 17 months under the circumstances speaks well for the wholesomeness and quality of our provisions, and the ventilation and cleanliness of the ship. Tenth, Extremely cold with dense mists from the open water. Yesterday eight ptarmigan and a sooty fox were seen. We have consumed the last of our venison. it supplied us for three days. We are drinking out of a cask of sugar-beer, which is a very mild but agreeable beverage. We make it on board. Sunday night, 13th. Tomorrow morning, if fine, Young and I set off upon our travels. He has advanced a portion of his sledge-load to the west side of the water in Bellow Strait, having been obliged to carry it over land for about a mile in order to get there i have explored the route to the long lake and find we can reach it without crossing elevated or uncovered land i saw two reindeer and young saw about twenty ptarmigan the mean temperature of february up to this date is minus thirty three point two degrees being an exact continuation of january i confess to some anxiety upon this point as hitherto the winter has been unusually severe and the journeys to be performed will occupy more than twenty days Besides, we shall be earlier in motion than any of the previous travellers, unless we are to make an exception in favour of Mr. Kennedy's trip of 30 miles from Batty Bay to Fury Beach between the 5th and 10th January, during which time the lowest temperature registered was only minus 25 degrees. Should either Young or myself remain absent beyond the period for which we carry provisions, Hobson is to send a party in search of us. A sooty fox has been captured lately. 15th a strong northwest wind with a temperature of minus forty degrees confines us on board one cannot face these winds therefore it is fortunate that we did not start the ship being much more comfortable than a snow hut twentieth march already i have been a week on board and so difficult is it to settle down to anything like sedentary occupation after a period of continued vigorous action that even now i can scarcely sit still to scribble a brief outline of my trip to cape victoria on the morning of the seventeenth february the weather moderated sufficiently for us to set out the temperature throughout the day varied between minus thirty one degrees and minus forty two and a half degrees leaving young's party to pass on through the strait i proceeded by the way of the long lake which i found to be ten and a half geographical miles in length with an average width of half a mile we built our snow hut upon the west coast near pemmican rock after a march of nineteen or twenty geographical miles We always speak of geographical miles with reference to our marches six geographical are equal to seven english miles on the following day the old northwest wind sprang up with renewed vigor and the temperature fell to minus forty eight degrees the cold was therefore intense on the third day our dogs went lame in consequence of sore feet the intense cold seems to be the principal if not the only cause having hardened the surface snow beyond what their feet can endure i was obliged to throw off a part of the provisions still we could not make more than twelve or eighteen miles daily we of course walked so that the dogs had only the remaining provisions and clothing to drag yet several of them repeatedly fell down in fits for several days this severe weather continued the mercury of my artificial horizon remaining frozen its freezing point is minus thirty nine degrees and our rum at first thick like treacle required thawing latterly when the more fluid and stronger part had been used we travelled each day until dusk and then were occupied for a couple of hours in building our snow hut the four walls were run up until five and a half feet high inclining inwards as much as possible over these our tent was laid to form a roof we could not afford the time necessary to construct a dome of snow our equipment consisted of a very small brown holland tent mackintosh floor cloth and felt robes besides this each man had a bag of double blanketing and a pair of fur boots to sleep in we wore moccasins over the pieces of blanket in which our feet were wrapped up and with the exception of a change of this footgear, carried no spare clothes the daily routine was as follows i led the way peterson and thompson followed conducting their sledges and in this manner we trudged on for eight or ten hours without halting except when necessary to disentangle the dog harness when we halted for the night thompson and i usually sawed out the blocks of compact snow and carried them to peterson who acted as the master mason in building the snow hut the hour and a half or two hours usually employed in erecting the edifice was the most disagreeable of the day's labor for in addition to being already well tired and desiring repose we became thoroughly chilled while standing about when the hut was finished the dogs were fed and here the great difficulty was to ensure the weaker ones their full share in the scramble for supper Then commenced the operation of unpacking the sledge and carrying into our hut everything necessary for ourselves, such as provision and sleeping gear, as well as all boots, fur mittens, and even the sledge dog harness to prevent the dogs from eating them during our sleeping hours. The door was now blocked up with snow, the cooking lamp lighted, foot gear changed, diary written up, watches wound, sleeping bags wriggled into, pipes lighted, and the merits of various dogs discussed, until supper was ready the supper swallowed the upper robe or coverlet was pulled over and then to sleep next morning came breakfast a struggle to get into frozen moccasins after which the sledges were packed and another day's march commenced in these little huts we usually slept warm enough although latterly when our blankets and clothes became loaded with ice we felt the cold severely when our low doorway was carefully blocked up with snow and the cooking lamp alight the temperature quickly rose so that the walls became glazed and our bedding thawed but the cooking over or the doorway partially opened it as quickly fell again so that it was impossible to sleep or even to hold one's pannikin of tea without putting our mitts on so intense was the cold on the twenty first i visited our main depot laid out last october it was safe but unfortunately had been carried far into rottersley inlet and only forty miles south of Bello strait on the twenty second an easterly gale prevented our marching but we had the good fortune to shoot a bear so consoled ourselves with fresh steaks and the dogs with an ample feed of unfrozen flesh a treat they had not enjoyed for many months we coasted along a granitic land deeply indented and fringed with islands and found it to be the general characteristic of the boothian shore from bellow strait until we had accomplished half the distance to the magnetic pole limestone then appeared and the remainder of our journey was performed along a low straight shore which afforded us much greater facility for sledging throughout the whole distance we found a mixture of heavy old ice and light ice of last autumn in many places squeezed up into pack but as we advanced southward aged floes were less frequently seen on the first of march we halted to encamp about the position of the magnetic pole for no cairn remains to mark the spot i had almost concluded that my journey would prove to be a work of labour in vain because hitherto no traces of eskimo had been met with and in consequence of the reduced state of our provisions and the wrecked condition of the poor dogs six out of the fifteen being quite useless i could only advance one more march but we had done nothing more than look ahead when we halted and turned around great indeed was my surprise and joy to see four men walking after us peterson and i immediately buckled on our revolvers and advanced to meet them the natives halted made fast their dogs laid down their spears and received us without any evidence of surprise they told us they had been out upon a seal hunt on the ice and were returning home we proposed to join them and were all soon in motion again But another hour brought sunset, and we learned that their snow village of eight huts was still a long way off, so we hired them, at the rate of a needle for each Eskimo, to build us a hut, which they completed in an hour. It was eight feet in diameter, five and a half feet high, and in it we all passed the night. Perhaps the records of architecture do not furnish another instance of a dwelling-house so cheaply constructed. We gave them to understand that we were anxious to barter with them, and very cautiously approached the real object of our visit a naval button upon one of their dresses afforded the opportunity it came they said from some white people who were starved upon an island where there are salmon that is in a river and that the iron of which their knives were made came from the same place one of these men said he had been to the island to obtain wood and iron but none of them had seen the white men another man had been to ewillik repulse bay and counted on his fingers seven individuals of ray's party whom he remembered having seen these eskimo had nothing to eat and no other clothing than their ordinary double dresses of fur they would not eat our biscuit or salt pork but took a small quantity of bear's blubber and some water they slept in a sitting posture with their heads leaning forward on their breasts next morning we travelled about ten miles further by which time we were close to cape victoria beyond this i would not go much as they wished to lead us on we therefore landed and they built us a commodious snow hut in half an hour this done we displayed to them our articles for barter knives files needles scissors beads etc expressed our desire to trade with them and promised to purchase everything that belonged to the starved white men if they would come to us on the morrow notwithstanding that the weather was stormy and bitterly cold two of the natives stripped off their outer coats of reindeer skin and bartered them for a knife each despite the gale which howled outside we spent a comfortable night in our roomy hut next morning the entire village population arrived amounting to about forty-five souls from aged people to infants in arms and bartering commenced very briskly first of all we purchased all the relics of the lost expedition consisting of six silver spoons and forks a silver medal the property of mr a macdonald assistant surgeon part of a gold chain several buttons and knives made of the iron and wood of the wreck also bows and arrows constructed of materials obtained from the same source having secured these we purchased a few frozen salmon some seals blubber and venison but could not prevail upon them to part with more than one of their fine dogs one of their sledges was made of two stout pieces of wood which might have been a boat's keel all the old people recollected the visit of the victory an old man told me his name was ubloria i recollected that sir james ross had employed a man of that name as a guide and reminded him of it he was in fact the same individual, and he inquired after Sir James by his Eskimo name of Agluga. I inquired after the man who was furnished with a wooden leg by the carpenter of the victory. No direct answer was given, but his daughter was pointed out to me. Peterson explained to me that they do not like alluding in any way to the dead, and that, as my question was not answered, it was certain the man was no longer amongst the living. None of the people had seen the whites, one man said he had seen their bones upon the island where they died but some were buried peterson also understood him to say that the boat was crushed by the ice almost all of them had part of the plunder they said they will be here when we return and will trade more with us also that we shall find natives upon montreal island at the time of our arriving there next morning fourth march several natives came to us again i bought a spear six and a half feet long from a man who told peterson distinctly that a ship having three masts had been crushed by the ice out in the sea to the west of king william's island but that all the people landed safely he was not one of those who were eye-witnesses of it the ship sunk so nothing was obtained by the natives from her all that they have got he said came from the island in the river the spear staff appears to have been part of the gunwale of a light boat one old man made a rough sketch of the coastline with his spear upon the snow and said it was eight journeys to where the ship sank pointing in the direction of cape felix i can make nothing out of his rude chart the information we obtained bears out the principal statements of dr ray and also accounts for the disappearance of one of his ships but it gives no clue to the whereabouts of the other nor the direction whence the ships come one thing is tolerably certain the crews did not at any time land upon the boothian shore these esquimaux were all well clothed in reindeer dresses and looked clean they appeared to have abundance of provisions but scarcely a scrap of wood was seen amongst them which had not come from the lost expedition their sledges with the exception of the one already spoken of were wretched little affairs consisting of two frozen rolls of seal-skins coated with ice and attached to each other by bones which served as the cross-bars the men were stout hearty fellows and the women arrant thieves but all were good-humoured and friendly the women were decidedly plain in fact this term would have been flattering to most of them yet there was a degree of vivacity and gentleness in the manners of some that soon reconciled us to these arctic specimens of the fair sex they had fine eyes and teeth as well as very small hands and the young girls had a fresh rosy hue not often seen in combination with olive complexions eskimo mothers carry their infants on their backs within their large fur-dresses and where the babes can only be got at by pulling them out over their shoulder whilst intent upon my bargaining for silver spoons and forks belonging to franklin's expedition at the rate of a few needles or a knife for each relic one pertinacious old dame having obtained all she was likely to get from me for herself pulled out her infant by the arm and quietly held the poor little creature for it was perfectly naked before me in the breeze the temperature at the time being sixty degrees below freezing point. Peterson informed me that she was begging for a needle for her child. I need not say I gave it one as expeditiously as possible, yet sufficient time elapsed before the infant was again put out of sight to alarm me considerably for its safety in such a temperature. The natives, however, seemed to think nothing of what looked to me like the cruel exposure of a naked baby." We now returned to the ship with all the speed we could command but stormy weather occasioned a two days delay so that we did not arrive on board until the 14th of march though considerably reduced in flesh i and my companions were in excellent health and blessed with insatiable appetites on washing our faces which had become perfectly black from the soot of our blubber lamp sundry scars relics of frostbites appeared and the tips of our fingers from constant frostbites had become as callous as if seared with hot iron in this journey of twenty-five days we travelled three hundred and sixty geographical miles four hundred and twenty english and completed the discovery of the coast of continental america thereby adding about one hundred and twenty miles to our charts the mean temperature throughout of the journey was thirty degrees below zero of fahrenheit or sixty-two degrees below the freezing point of water on reaching the ship i at once assembled my small crew and told them of the information we had obtained pointing out that there still remained one of the ships unaccounted for and therefore it was necessary to carry out all our projected lines of search during this journey i acquired the arctic accomplishment of eating frozen blubber in delicate little slices and vastly preferred it to frozen pork at the present moment i do not think i could even taste it but the same privation and hunger which induced me to eat of such food would doubtless enable me again to partake of it very kindly I shot a couple of foxes which came playing about the dogs. Conscious of their superior speed, they were very impudent, snapping at the dogs' tails and passing almost under their noses. I shot these foxes, intending to eat them, but the dogs anticipated me with respect to one. The other we feasted off at our mess-table, and thought it by no means bad. It was insipid, but decidedly better to our tastes than preserved meat. Captain Alan Young and his party had returned on board on the 3rd of March, having placed their depot upon the shore of prince of wales land about seventy miles south-west of the ship young found the ice in bellow strait so rough as to be impassable and was obliged to adopt the lake route prince of wales land was found to be composed of limestone the shore was low and fringed for a distance of ten miles to seaward with an ancient land flow the remaining width of the strait between this land north somerset and prince of wales land was about fifteen miles and this space was composed of ice formed since September last. This was the water we looked at so anxiously last autumn from Cape Bird and Pemmican Rock. His party lived in their tent, protected from the wind by snow walls, and, like ourselves, escaped with a few trivial frostbites. So far, all was very satisfactory, the general health good, and the eagerness of my crew to commence travelling quite charming. Young proposed carrying out another depot to the northwest. In order to explore well off Peel Strait, and would have started on the 17th, but the weather was too severe. The day was spent in a fruitless search for three casks of sugar, a serious and unaccountable deficiency. But as it was important to replace them with as little delay as possible, Young set off on the 18th, although it blew a northwest gale at the time, with two men and eighteen dogs for Fury Beach. Failing to find the requisite quantity there, he will go on to Port Leopold. End of Chapter Twelve.